Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, good morning. So I'm not Brandon. That's all right, though. <laughs> I know. It's all right. It's all right. So I thought I had told him before. I thought I told him at work that, we, that I was speaking this, this morning, but I guess I didn't. Um, so if uh, I have not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt McCarrier. My family and I are members here, uh, and I'm just excited to be with you this morning in the... Uh, in the spirit of full transparency, I like to always be transparent as I can. My health is not um, cooperating with me 100% this morning, so uh, if, if I have to uh, bolt out of here, you know why. <laughs> but uh, I ask for grace, I ask for prayers as we go into this this morning, and uh, I just am uh, fully positive that God will um, still speak in this message and that we will receive what uh, he has to offer this morning. So, Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, we just come before you this morning, and we lift up our praise and our worship. God, this morning, we come to you, and we acknowledge that the whole purpose of meeting here this morning is to praise and worship you. God, in this time, as we examine your word Allow our thoughts, allow the ruminations of our hearts to be worshipped to you. Allow us to examine our own lives as we pour over your word. Allow us to be convicted and changed. God, we ask that your words be given this morning in such a way that are understandable and relatable and translatable into our lives, God. God, we open ourselves up to you this morning. We come to you with earnesty and honesty and humility. And God, we just thank you so much for our opportunity to meet together this morning. And we praise and worship your name. Amen. So we are going to be um, in this, uh, continuing to talk about patience. And we're coming into uh, the Easter season, and it's really hard to believe. Um, I cannot believe that next week is Palm Sunday, and uh, it just kind of flies by. And talking about patience, it's funny because uh, I always thought about patience from, uh, I guess, my my perspective of it as a child, um, where... It was an anticipation of something. It was waiting for something, right? So if, uh, if something was coming up like Easter, like a holiday, uh, I would be patiently waiting, right? And it wasn't always so patiently. Like, I didn't really understand patience then because it was just more enduring and it was more, uh, more my parents had to be patient with me, right? Because when is, you know, when's this, when's this, when's this, when I want this or when's that? Yeah. Um, So I would get really excited about these things and waiting, and it seems like it would take forever. 
Um, it seems like uh, I would start, you know, as soon as Christmas is over, I'd be like, okay, well, when's Easter? And, and I wasn't really thinking about the whole meaning behind these holidays. I was thinking more about I would get things. And so um, it was this idea of, okay, my patience is just enduring this time that I have to get to this event that I'm looking forward to. And we're going to talk about today that patience looks very different in the kingdom of God. Jesus exhibited a form of patience that uh, just, there's no other way to say it, was perfect. And that's the title today is Perfect Patience. And we're going to be looking at Jesus, and we're going to be looking at him talking about his death. As we prep ourselves um, going into Easter, um, prepping ourselves for this event that we're going to be celebrating, uh, it's really good to look at Jesus and how he tried to prep his disciples for the same event. How did he try to walk them through this uh, really tragic and, uh, and traumatic experience that was about to happen to them? And so how did he patiently guide them through this? How did he exhibit patience? And we look at a really good example of what the kingdom of God looks like. And you might not know, I, I've been actually kind of really struggling with this idea of the kingdom of God for quite some time. Because in the Bible... It talks about the kingdom of God, and it is almost this, uh, it gives a back and forth. The kingdom of God is something that is here and now, it's achievable, and yet it's also something that is for the future that is going to come. It's, it's really paradoxical. It's hard to get our minds wrapped around, and so there is this kind of question that as we're here on earth, uh, where do we put our um, attentions and where do we put our actions? Do we focus more on the kingdom to come? Do we focus more on the kingdom that is now? And as I uh, preach, and you, you've heard me say before, I'm a guy that kind of likes that middle of the road, right? I like this idea of both. And we see that Jesus tried to show how here on earth we can strive for the things of the kingdom of God. We can strive for the things of, of God on earth, but the thing of it is is that his kingdom is so different and so upside down from what kingdoms here and what it looks like here is that it's almost hard for us to even wrap our minds around. So as we strive, it's almost like looking at a reflection of what it could be. We can see in part what is there or looking through a clouded, that's what the, the Bible tells us, that it's like looking through um, a, a mist or, or a cloud and being able to see partially what is there. And uh, so we see through Jesus in the way that he interacted with his disciples and the way that he taught and the way that he spoke about um, his own being and his kingdom, we get a little glimpse of what that could probably look like. And so today we're going to look at him talking about his own death and exhibiting patience in that. So we're going to look at a couple of passages. They're a little bit longer. We're going to read through them. Um, but again, I said uh, going into Easter... I've kind of grown into this new appreciation for the patiently waiting for the, uh, the Easter holiday. Uh, I had grown up going to church here, and, and here we didn't celebrate Lent, and uh, I went to a uh, Presbyterian uh, college, and they didn't celebrate um, Lent, and so then I went to um, the United Methodists, and they celebrated Lent. And uh, the Lent is the season in preparation leading up into Easter. And so I grew into this new appreciation for 
um, what it meant to really try to prep myself and prep my heart and, uh, and do um, reflections on the words of Christ. And so I think it's appropriate and powerful at the time of Easter to try and read through the words of Christ and give them um, a little bit more uh, time than maybe we would normally spend. So we're going to read through the entirety of these um, passages, and we're going to look. These are the words of Christ, and, uh, and so I get to have the honor of sharing them with you this morning. We're going to be looking at Mark 8, 27 is our first passage. So Mark 8, 27 and it says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And, others, you are one of, and to others, they say you are one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, he would be killed, by three days, he would be killed but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point and not from God's. Then calling to the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake... And for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful times, the Son of Man will be ashamed that the person of that person when he returns into the glory of his Father with the holy angels." So we see here for the first time, Jesus is telling his disciples about his death. And we see him walking through this, and it's funny because in the three passages that we're going to look at, we see his disciples react to this news in ways that we would find probably really, really inappropriate. Um, we see this very first one, we see them basically reprimand him, right? And before we get too hard on Peter, I know a lot of times we look at Peter and we say, man, like he's called out, he's, you know, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter was the spokesperson for uh, the disciples. So a lot of times when you see him speaking, uh, he is speaking for the group as large. And so what I'm picturing happening here is that Jesus has told them about what is about to happen. He's told them about his coming death. And they're off talking by themselves, and then they send Peter um, on his way up to talk to Jesus, and he pulls Jesus aside and says, hey, this, this can't happen. What you're talking about, you, this is going to ruin everything. This is not the plan. And he, it says in the passage that he waited, and he turned, and he looked back at all of the disciples, meaning they had all been thinking this. And he says to them all, get behind me, Satan, meaning that this was a temptation. This shows 
it's a twofold thing that's a powerful thing about the Bible, is that it shows us in this moment that Jesus is fully human, but then also fully God. So in the moment, he's being tempted by the words that his disciples are giving to him. But at the same time, he is God and he's commanding Satan and those temptations to get away from him. And so we see him living in this duality in such a way that is, it's, again, it's, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around how he can be in a way that he is. How he can be fully God and fully man. But we see here his disciples They just can't grasp it either. They can't grasp his kingdom. And when we look at this, when we are trying to approach God, a lot of times I think we get caught up in trying to approach him in a way that is um, 100% uh, rational, if I can say that any better. Um, We approach him in such a way that we say, well, these things have to make um, 100% rational. sense from the standard of our kingdoms, right? So in our kingdoms, kings would never uh, lower themselves to the point where we see Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And in our, in our kingdoms, we would never see the king willingly sacrifice himself. That doesn't even make any sense. Most of the time, the kings would stay back from, from battle to be protected in the worst of the battles, we would never see these things. And so the disciples, before, again, before we get too hard on them, they're trying to wrap their minds around this idea. And they're saying, your kingdom looks so vastly different. And I don't understand it. And this doesn't make sense. If you're going to be our king, if you're going to be our God, um, our Messiah is what they're thinking, our Savior, then you can't die. Because then you can't be it. It doesn't make sense. And we see the patience, this perfect patience of Jesus. As, think about this as his, his man, um, the, the, the man side of who he is. He's telling his best friends in the world that he's going to die. He knows that this is going to happen. I've seen some people who have gone through um, different terminal illnesses, and I've seen people handle it in different ways, and it's always astounding to me when someone knows that the, the end might be near, and yet um, in that time they can use it as a time to um, witness to people, to spread the gospel. They can use it as a time to um, mend relationships and just to use it as a really powerful experience and to really point towards God. And uh, we see that Jesus does the same thing here. He knows it must have been so difficult to have this conversation with his disciples, his best friends, to say, I'm going to die. It's coming. And then at the same moment, his disciples arguing against him. No, that's not happening. Like, man, I need this support. I need your support. Um, And then yet using it and flipping it as a teaching moment and saying, no, look, my kingdom is different. It looks different. If you want to be a part of it, you have to be different. The second passage is the second time that Jesus talks to them about his death. He's trying to teach them. And it's funny because his patience, it really knows no bounds. He's, he, he tries to bring them along time and time again. And he allows them to wrestle with these things. He gives them time and space to work through it. And then he brings it up again because he's like, you have to understand this. It's going to happen. It's coming. So I'm going to bring it up again. So in Mark 9, 30, not too, short, not too long after... We see him talk about this again. 
It says, leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend time with his disciples and to teach them. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying. However, they were afraid to ask him what he meant. I'm going to pause right there. We're going to keep reading for a little bit. But if you're unfamiliar with the term son of, um, son of man, when it talks about that, that's um, the title that Jesus most often took on. That, that title comes from the book of Daniel. So in the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel prophesies that there will be this son of man, a, a man who will represent all of men. And that man will be the representative of men to God. And that man will save us. And that was the Messiah. And so he takes on this, this, it's kind of weird because we look at him and say, well, son of God, why is he calling himself son of man? It's because he was both. He was fully man. And again, that, it, the time of Easter is, I think, the time that I get struck most powerfully by the fact that he was both. Because it is the culmination of what that means as we go into this time of Easter, as we're looking at what he did on the cross, as we're looking at he's prepping his disciples, he's trying to prep us, he's saying, I am your representative, I am fully man, and this is so difficult for me, I know what's about to happen, I'm trying to teach my disciples, and yet I'm also trying to reassure them and to teach them to make sure that when I'm gone, they have that sure footing and foundation under them. It's just powerful. It's powerful to the example as how we should live and how we should try to, to act as a, uh, as a follower of Christ. So let's continue here. It's in 33. It says, After they arrived in Capernaum and settled in the house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer, because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him, and said, Whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. See, we see this patience again. He's telling them the Son of Man is going to die. And then he's like, by the way, hey, what were you guys talking about on the road? And they're like, uh, which one of us is better? <laughs> And he's like, clearly last time I told you about this, you didn't get it. Or maybe you don't get it now because you clearly call me the son of man, but I am your representative and you're arguing about who of you is better. The patience, the perfection in his patience is amazing. As he walks through with the disciples, this thing that, again, I can't reiterate how terribly hard this must have been for him personally knowing what was coming. And I think, you know, a lot of times when we look at Christ, it's easy for us to, I want to just take a moment and just, again, be transparent with you. See, I think a lot of times when I look at Christ and I see this person who, again, is perfect, and I see the aim and the goal as perfection, and I so very often fall short of it. I find myself being so hard on myself because I put myself in the place of Jesus. I, I, I am just like the disciples, arguing in my own head, who is the greatest? 
If I, if I messed up, then maybe I dropped down a notch. Maybe I'm a little bit less than that person beside me. Maybe I'm a little bit less than, than this other preacher over here. In my head, I'm thinking, maybe I'm a little bit less than I was. How can I gain that back up? And it's a fallacy, and it's a trap. Because the truth of it is that Jesus is saying to his disciples, no, I am your representative. I'm the son of man. Everything under me because nothing can be me. I am the perfect representative. And even though that is hard for us to swallow, the freedom that it brings is astounding. Because no longer do I have to, that doesn't mean I have license to sin, right? That's what Paul talks about. He talks about in his epistles. He says, um, I do we keep on going to sin? Do we keep sinning to bring glory to God, to show how good he is? No, he said that'd be foolish. If we truly want to follow him and please him, then we would not do that. But at the same time, we cannot be talking about ourselves as who is the greatest. We look at Christ. It's a perfect time right now to kind of reorder it, re, uh, orient my, ourselves in line with God and who he is. And the other reassuring thing in this is how patient he is with his disciples. Man, I, I cringe for them sometimes, right? But that's because I have hindsight. And I look at that and I say, well, I never would have done that, but I do it daily. Again, this is me just being honest. I think about, I think about oh, if I, if I messed up, you know, what does that mean? Or, or if I've done this, or if I've had this thoughts, or if what's happened, you know, and I, I let myself get into this cycle of just downward spiral because I think, oh, I'm dropping in down in this place. And, and it's like Sarah Lee was saying that he, he, we are enough. We are enough because he is what is needed. He doesn't need us. So what I can offer to him, but I should always try to live by him. That's what we're going to get to our points here when we read this last passage is there are things we can look to Christ and say, he is the goal. He is what we should be aspiring to be. If we're going to call ourselves disciples, if we're going to call ourselves followers, then we should try to be who he is but also not get caught up in this idea that we are him because we aren't. So let's look at Mark 10, 32 through 45. And this is the third time that Jesus predicts his own death. He says, They were now on the way to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people followed behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and to the teachers of the law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Then James, John, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What's your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? 
Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Then the the, uh, ten other disciples heard what uh, James and John had asked, and they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave to everyone. For even uh, for, to everyone else, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, this is one of those like cringe moments because uh, he tells them that he's about to die, and then um, James and John are like, "Well, since you're about to die, <laughs> can you do us a favor, like?" Can we ask this now before you are dead? You know, I guess because then it won't be, you know, you can't carry it out then. It's like, ah, it just, it just is. I mean, even on a friendship level, like even if you're not looking at it like a disciple like level, it's like if someone is like, hey, you know what? You know, I have, I have cancer and you know, they gave me a couple months to live and stuff. And be like, can I get your TV? Like when you're done, like you put that in the, in the will, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's exactly what it would be like. And we just, it's just, it's crazy, but I think to myself that, again, I just have to, to be open and honest about who I am. I do it all the time, right? Think about what Christ did for us and what Christ did for me. And then there's times where I'm like, hey, you know, if you could just, you know, t- do this for me. Could you just do this one thing for me? That doesn't mean he doesn't want to hear our desires or our struggles. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to not come to him out of that. He loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us, but, and he is perfectly patient and he wants to hear these things. But at the same time, um, I just think I, I have to be less hard on the disciples when I read through those things and more into what it means for me as I'm in my relationship with God what can I take? Because sometimes we're like, oh, well, that lesson was specifically for the disciples because, well, I would never ask that question of Jesus, right? Well, I do that all the time. I do it all the time. And, and Jesus says, hey, listen, God's plan is what is best. So our, our final point or our key point today is that Jesus' death points to the kingdom of God. Jesus used everything in his ministry to try and showcase what his kingdom would look like. He was trying to show that things looked different in his perfect kingdom. And he used even his own death to demonstrate that. Again, through multiple different ways, but one of the ways being simply that a king would not sacrifice himself for his people most of the time. It just didn't, it wouldn't even make sense for the nation, right? If you had kings just constantly sacrifice, even if the king was a good king and a noble king and wanted to and said, hey, I would lay down my life for my, my people, well, then you're leaderless, right? So they would just, no, we can't have you do that. 
So even in the sacrificial nature of who he is, he showed that his kingdom was 100% upside down. And the reason that it's 100% upside down is because his kingdom is ruled by God and not by man. And yet, we constantly try to fit him into this box. Constantly try to fit him into the box in our lives. But the cool thing about that is, again, just like the disciples were trying to do that, they were trying to understand and bring him into their own context, like their context and, and what their life, what it meant to their life. Hey, can I sit on the throne with you? Hey, which one of us is best? You know, hey, can we get this from you, Jesus? Or what does this mean? Or does that mean that, that uh, you are, are the very, very best, so we're like the second best? Like all these different thoughts that they're thinking about this. And Jesus, again, is so patient with them. He points to his kingdom. And so I wanted to kind of just look real quick, breeze through these ones, to break down what his patience looked like in these moments. And the first one is that his patience... Or patience is humble in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus, in these moments, when he's trying to teach his disciples, he's trying to teach them about his coming death. He's struggling with it himself. He's being tempted by their words. He's being, um, he's being uh, uh, hurt by um, their, what they're saying, right? And, and so he's struggling with this whole thing, and yet he's humbling himself. And he's saying, listen, I'm still going to use this as a time to teach you. And I'm still going to do this thing that is very, very hard for me. I'm going to live through this suffering. And I think back to the patience of my childhood, this enduring. And, and I, I, uh, I thought about the times when I had to be patient for something that I didn't want to have happen. All right? I had to go do a test or I had something that I was nervous about. And just those, ah, it would just be grinding in me, you know, and I would just be trying to throw it out of my head. I'd be trying to do anything to distract me from it, you know, anything that I could do. But Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to try and use it to teach. And guess what? We're not always going to be able to do that very well. When we go through times of suffering or struggle, when we go through life's hardships, being humble in those times, being teachable, being obedient, just isn't always the easiest thing. And yet, again, striving to be like Christ and yet acknowledging that he is patient with us, working through it. The next is that in the kingdom of God, patience is obedient. See, Jesus didn't give up. He could, I mean, he could have done so many other things. Like even if, even if the uh, only way for, and there's a lot of different theologians who've discussed why the only way that, that salvation could happen could be through, through the very specific way of dying on the cross, why it needed to be those things. And there's, so that's a whole different sermon and discussion. But he could have done any number of things. He could have sped up so he didn't have to uh, wait so long, right? They all just, I'm going to do it right away. You know, I don't want to have to do all these things. He could have made it so it didn't, wasn't painful, he could have made it so that he didn't know what was going to happen. There's just a lot of things he could do, and yet he was obedient in his plan, in God's plan. He was obedient and in harmony with what God had him to do and wanted him to do. Now, here's the thing. Most of us, you and I, are not going to be um, 
blessed with the, uh, the, the foresight and the clarity that Christ had to his, his plan for, for his life, that God had for his life. Most of us are going to try and struggle. We're going to have times when we're in step with God, and there's going to be times when we fall out of step with God, and we're going to be constantly searching and looking for what it is. But I think what we can take from Christ is that whether it's in a time of suffering, whether it's when we're waiting for something that's good or waiting for something that's bad or in the midst of a storm, being obedient to what God has called us to do blesses those not only around us but blesses ourselves. And then finally, in the kingdom of God, patience is active. Again, this is backwards from what I thought of whenever I thought of um, being patient. It was an endurance. It was a working through something. Okay, if I just, if I just sit and wait and I don't you know, make a big fuss, then that is being a good patience. Um, but Christ shows us that being patient is also being active. It's not simply about waiting. We see this over and over again in the Bible. We see that in the, uh, the parable of the talents whenever uh, the one uh, person buries the portion that's given to him and just sits on it, just endures the time that the king is away. And then he comes back and he's chastised by the king. The king says, why did you do that? That was a waste. That was a waste. And so in our patience, no matter what um, we are waiting for, what we're enduring, we are meant to be active. We can't give up. And uh, this is from somebody who struggles with depression, who has struggles with my health, um, and this is not easy for me. There's a lot of times when I want to just fall back. And that doesn't mean that I have to be active like out in the streets, like doing all these crazy things, but it means that I'm actively pursuing what God has called me to do. I think about the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're told about this man who is on the road, and, and the people who come by him are not people who are looking for him. And they're not people who have a specific thing set up to go look for mugged people, right? Um, it was just people that were walking along, and, and what God asked them to do was to be obedient in that moment, to be humble in that moment, and to be active in that moment. See, ministry, living a Christian life, is about being patient. It's about being patient for God. For him to give us opportunities, like the man that was laying on the side of the road. And if we wait for those things, see, when we're, when we're patient, when we're trying to do things on our own, and this is where I'll close with, I think a lot about this. We think about this patience as enduring. You know, God says, I have a plan for you. I want you to, to do this or that, or I've given you these talents or these abilities, and I want you to be able to do these things. And we think to ourselves, okay, well, if God wants me to do these things, well, then I have to be able to do them. And they just, we want to jump, and we want to go, and we want to go, and we want to go, and we want to go. And so often we end up then burning ourselves out, and we get into a place where we're like, we can't do it. Why are we not doing it? And, oh, if my ministry isn't quite as good as, as this, or if, if my project isn't as good, or if, if I haven't, you know, done this that this other Christian has done, and we get back to what the disciples were doing, arguing about who is better or who can sit on the left or the right. And what I want to encourage you is that there's freedom in being patient. It seems a little bit anti-our kingdom, right? 
It's a little bit on its, on its head because we just want to be so active. And even though I'd said, hey, we need to be active, right? We can't just sit back. And that's where this kingdom is, this paradox. And sometimes I feel, I feel uh, struggle even preaching it because I'm like, I know that this is a struggle. But Jesus says, listen, what I need you to do is to be in relationship to me. That's the activity that I'm looking for. I want you to be constantly speaking with me, constantly studying my word, being in group with people that are doing those same things, seeking after me because guess what? Sooner rather than later, I'm going to send somebody your way. And if you're ready for it, if you're humble and obedient, you'll be ready to jump on it. And that's what patience in the kingdom of God looks like. That's what Christ lived out in his death. That's what he was showing to us. He was showing us that, listen, I'm not just going to sit back. There's ministry to be done. There's things to be done. When I interact with people, there's people to be healed. There's people to be told about who I am. And I'm not entirely sure when that will end. I know it's coming, but I will be humble in the moment. I will be teaching, even though it's a struggle. I will be obedient. And when I'm called, I'll be active. So I don't know where you are. Uh, it's always a struggle with this. Um, but I want to encourage you this Easter season, be reflecting on where your relationship with Christ um, falls. Uh, where Maybe where you have placed some of your thoughts about your relationship with him. Even just that dynamic of, is he the son of man to you? Is he your representative? Is he the person that uh, you have given all the hopes and dreams? Or are you still trying to pile some of those things onto you? Are you still trying to give yourself the responsibility of doing these things? Right? Are you patiently waiting on, the God's, on God's plan for your own life? Are you trying to forge your own path? These are hard things, but there's no better time to try and think through them than the Easter season. I'm going to invite the uh, worship team up. Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, we just come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your son. We can't even begin to imagine what it took to go through with the plan that needed to go through with, God. God, seeing your son on the cross, enduring the pain of going to the cross, God, you are both the representative of man and you are God, and it's mind-boggling. And God, we come before you and we just thank you that even in the midst of your perfection, you show us patience. In the midst of our faults and flaws, you seek to teach us. God, you sent your son as an example and as a sacrifice, and God, we did not deserve that. So we just praise you and we lift you up and we thank you for it. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. 
Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.